you get a brand new cell phone, and shortly after, it breaks. I mean, it really breaks. At first, you're disappointed. Then you get angry. It would have been one thing if you had abused it. You see a lot of other people doing that, tossing it around, dropping it. You've even seen a friend use it to tap a nail into the wall to hang a picture. But you, you've handled yours with kid gloves, screen protector right out of the box, an otter box to protect it. And then it breaks. Your parents and friends roll their eyes. They start asking, what in the world did you do to your phone? Or they tell you what you did wrong. Then they always have ways that you can fix it. They're trying to make you feel better, but their rolling eyes and their simple fixes just make you feel worse. You know you can't fix it. You would if you could. Welcome to the story of Job. Job is our last book of wisdom or poetry in the Old Testament. We looked at David's book, the Psalms, then Solomon's three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Job rounds out this section of the Old Testament, the poetry and wisdom books. Here's the gist of Job's story. Job was a guy who handled life well, carefully. Then his life broke, badly. From the language of Job, he probably lived around the time of Abraham. It really doesn't matter. Job could have lived last week. Job represents damage to our families, relationships, our jobs, and our health, and the worst kind of damage. Damage you didn't cause and probably don't deserve. Damage others don't experience who treated their family, their relationships, their job, or their health much more carelessly. We're told at the beginning Job was a righteous man. He was right in God's eyes. We're told of a gathering of God and heaven and hell's bellboys. God asks Satan, where have you been? He says, you know, just kind of hanging out on earth watching what's going on. God then asks, what do you think of my boy Job? He's the finest guy down there, a man of real integrity. What do you think about him, huh? Satan's reply, he's your boy, all right. You protect him. You prosper him. Who wouldn't be your boy? I bet if you took it all away from him, he'd curse you to your face. God says to Satan, all right, let's give it a try. You have my permission to take all his stuff. Just leave my boy alone. Satan unleashes wave after wave, wiping out his livestock, his servants. Having delivered a left and right hook, Satan then delivers the finishing uppercut. All Job's children, together in one of their homes celebrating, are killed when the house collapses on top of them. Job goes from prosperous and protected to a man with nothing but a grieving wife. Yet shockingly, Job says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. The Lord gave me everything I have, and now the Lord's taken it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. We're told there was another meeting of God and heaven and hell's bellboys. Again, God brags up Job, his boy. He's passed the test. He's lost everything and still clings to and trusts in the Lord as good even when circumstances are bad. Satan replies, You said I couldn't touch him. If you let me touch him, he'll curse you to his face. A man will give anything for his health and life. I imagine God pausing, considering this evil archangel in front of him, then saying, You can have his health, but spare his life. We're told Satan struck Job with boils, with terrible boils from head to toe. Boils so itchy, he broke a piece of pottery and was scraping his skin with the shard. His life and now his health utterly devastated. His wife has a suggestion, a fix. 
Are you going to still maintain integrity? Curse God and die already. But Job replies, Should I accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? We're told in all this Job said nothing against his God. Completely broken, his friends show up. They could hardly recognize him. They started to wail, throw dust in the air, and rip their clothes, all signs of grieving in that culture. Then it says they sat down across from him for seven days, looking at him, no doubt rolling their eyes. Chapter 3 starts, Then Job answered and said, Answered what? They hadn't spoken for seven days. Well, he's answering their looks. We get a series of speeches between Job's friends and Job, and Job and God. Job starts by declaring, This is unjust suffering. He's taken every precaution with his life, and it's broken. His friends respond with their diagnosis of what happened. Basically, they accuse Job of sin. Stuff doesn't happen unless it's caused by sin. They move on to foolishness. It was caused by his foolishness. Each time, Job tries to answer their accusations. To the best his conscience can determine, none of these things are true. His friends then move on to simple ways to fix the problem, like beg God to take it away, or receive it as his discipline from heaven. For 39 chapters, through these series of speeches, Job's three friends examine every possibility about what causes suffering and how it can be fixed. Sprinkled throughout Job and his friends' speeches are conversations Job has with God, the same kind we have in those things in our lives where we think we've done all we can, but our relationships or bodies or spirits are still broken. In the end, God helps Job conclude the following, Unjust suffering is a mystery. There are no answers to why. There are no simple fixes. Job did not curse God. In fact, his intense suffering drew him to God. We'll see this theme carried forward throughout the New Testament. In Romans 5, Paul writes, Our tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. In fact, it leads us to understand the love of God. One writer is called pain, God's megaphone, and suffering, the fires that refine us. The book of Job also gives wisdom to us as friends of those who are suffering. When it comes to someone deeply suffering in their relationships or their job or their health, even though they've navigated these areas with care, our job as friends is not to come help them diagnose what went wrong, nor is it to suggest fixes, quick or otherwise. It's to enter into it beside them, to encourage them to persevere through it, to pray for God's mercy in it, and to learn beside them what only suffering can teach us. The story of Job ends this way. God rebukes Job's friends and asks Job to pray for their forgiveness. Then it says, God restored Job's life. He had things in his children again. Whether God raised his children back to life or gave children in their place, having lingered on the ash heap before God with his questions, God brings beauty from the ashes. God always does. Bringing beauty from ashes That's going to be God's challenge as we return to our history books and the story of the kings of Israel in 1 Kings. A few episodes ago, we left off with Solomon. Job suffered deeply for living right. We're going to study a series of kings, most of whom seem hell-bent on living life the wrong way. We'll take a look at their impact on themselves and on the nation of Israel, starting in our next word picture.